You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 26. This is the Give Me Five podcast, where each week we discuss the things that we found interesting or entertaining. That can be movies, music, games, books, streaming, TV, or whatever. I'm Jimmy, and it's my goddamn birthday, so who yeah, gives is. a rat's ass who these other guys are? Nobody! That's who! F those guys! Woo! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am joined, as always, by Rob. I like pie. Great. And Greg. <laughs> he really does like pie. He enjoys pie. I think we all do. Pie is delicious. That's true. So this week we will be discussing our top favorite pies. No, we're going to be talking about me and things that I think are cool. Okay, Toby Keith. I have is that no another, idea. Is that another music reference? That is another music reference. Yes, it is. I'm on a roll, baby. Woo! <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this week, Greg will give us his review of Ninja Scroll, and Rob will tell us what he thought of Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. These were both assigned by me because Greg. these are two of my favorite things. We will also discuss the movie Black Panther and the yes. album by Harakiri for the Sky, the new album Arson. Good guitar. Really good guitar in that album. And there was At another music reference I just let go. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, this is a review show. There will be spoilers. There, there be, probably will be in this episode. There There's definitely a lot of spoilers will be. in this episode. We are going to argue and discuss Black Panther at length. If you have not seen Black Panther, you probably don't want to listen to this. I'm talking to you, wife, who hasn't yet to see Black Panther, and who will hold a pillow over my face if I spoil <laughs> it for her. Uh, we are going to tr try to avoid like super major twists, although with the Black Panther one, we're probably not going to be able to. Um, but for example, if you did not know that, uh, apparently 1984 was the best year in every single category. I'm guessing movies, music, TV, every wow. single category. That's really, I was looking at, I was looking at that list. I was like, holy crap. All of that was 84. Yeah. That's really sweet of you to say, Greg. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you wrote that part on the script. Nah, and what are you talking about? Like the anchorman, like Ron Burgundy, I read exactly what's on the script. Uh, anyway, I'm also going to horribly mispronounce pretty much every single character name in the Black Panther. Every single one. Yeah, all of them. And uh, That should be good. Know, yeah, if you didn't know that, yeah, you're going to probably pause. Um, seriously, though, see Black Panther. It's wonderful. I added a question mark. Good work. That was quick. So, for all of you lovely people that want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can reach us via email, giveme5podcast at gmail.com. And also, help, if you can, help us out. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. It really helps us stand out from the crowd. And also, don't forget, we've got swag. That's right. Go to giveme5podcast.threadless.com, and you can pick up all your cool Gimme 5 merch. And remember, with all of those, that's F-I-V-E, not the number five. 
All right, guys. So it's actually been about two weeks since we've recorded. So what's been going on with you? Uh, one little bit of news that kind of you know snuck out was uh, there they announced a Kung Fury feature length movie. Uh, Kung Fury was the very eighties martial arts really uh, lasers and unicorns like fifteen yep. minute short. David movie that It was a crowdfunded. It was like forty five. That was the one with the with the video the video like game box that like became sentient, right? Yes. Uh, amongst other things. Yeah, that was super weird. Yeah. And they're making a, a feature length movie with uh fast with Michael Fassbender with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and of course David Hasselhoff again. <laughs> okay. Same, same producer uh la- the Laser Unicorns banner. Mm-hmm. And it's if you haven't seen it it's, you know, it's definitely got the same aesthetic of our logo and our past logo for that matter. Lots of grids and neon pink and That's ridiculousness very true the movie is soaked in nostalgia um it's about 30 minutes i just looked it up and when you told me this i was like do they really need to make that a full-length movie and just let it be Hmm. because i've seen it i don't need to see it again so i don't know we'll see i'm not super thrilled about that news but i know i should be but i'm not yeah i'm not sure how i feel about it I don't, I don't know that it actually needs to be a full-length movie, but we'll see. It's one of those things that as I watched it, I enjoyed it. But I knew in the back of my mind that there's a whole lot of people that wouldn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And seeing something that I enjoy come out in a bigger with a bigger budget into a broader audience... That's cool. ...worries me a little. It worries you? you know, I mean, it doesn't worry me so much as, like... I just think that it might not be received as well as by the people that, like, get the joke, so to speak. Yeah. Well, what else? You got some other movie news, right? I did see another thing that there was a character named Lobo that was a DC Comics character, which was DC's attempt to be edgy back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Marvel had a lot more of the edgy characters like Cable and Wolverine, of course, and even Deadpool, even though it was not quite as big. And this is like in the 90s. And they had this character named Lobo, who was basically a bounty hunter. He had spiky hair. He was he kind of had crow eye makeup and he was. He was like pale white and red eyes, and he would basically blast things and use made up words for swear words. I hated that as a comic. Like I didn't. I really... never was a fan of Lobo. I didn't actually know that that was a thing. Yeah, I was unfr- I was unfamiliar with Lobo that character. Looked like a yeah, jacked up, me- jacked up member of Man of War. Yeah, pretty much. That's about right. So anyway, apparently they're thinking about making a Lobo movie, and not a big fan of that. And they also announced that it was. Probably going to be made by Michael Bay, either produced or directed. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, How, is he a demolitions expert? How the hell is Michael Bay going to get all his explosions in? I mean, that makes sense. He's one of those the characters from the '90s, the comic characters. If you guys aren't comic book fans, the '90s had everyone carrying giant guns with pouches all over their bodies and stuff like that. So, it'll be a grenade launcher, so that Michael Bay can. Dude, blow I'm still out. waiting for Wolverine, pretty much, but... in the blue and yellow suit. I'm still waiting for a decent Transformers movie. You're never going to see that. <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, but you will go to see Michael every Bay. single one in the theater every time. And you'll never Not get me. it. Yeah. But for some reason, I think that Michael Bay doing Lobo, it's like... It's like a super It's villain. such a fit. It's like the... It's like two negatives making a positive, like a character I don't like and a director I'm not thrilled <laughs> with. Like Together, they might make the perfect movie or they might crack open the the stratosphere and destroy all of us. So we'll see. Create a singularity that will absorb the earth. Exactly. So, uh, Jimmy, uh, it was your birthday. Uh, what'd you do? I, I still haven't 
had a chance to sit down and rest, actually. Um, the night of my birthday, uh, my girlfriend and I went to the dessert party at Magic Kingdom. So the fireworks dessert show where they serve a buffet style, you know, dessert menu. And it was all fantastic. So there were like mini cupcakes and they even had like cheese and fruit and different juices and everything, you know, like a build your own Sunday bar, which is pretty awesome. And then you had a private viewing right in front of Cinderella's castle for the fireworks. Um, this is the first time I've seen the new ish fireworks show happily ever after, which combines projection mapping on the front of Cinderella's castle. They brought in some of the old Disney animators to do some really, really spectacular, spectacular, spectacular animation. And they even had some of the newer characters like Moana, uh, characters from cars, uh, brave, you know, some of the Pixar franchises in there as well. Oh, Oh, so you, this is the first time you've seen the new fireworks show ever after? Cause that's, that sounds like the show they do every it night now. It, yeah. Um, okay. That's the first time I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. They did a really good job super, with it. I was very impressed. impressed. We had a, a you know, a I'm not sure great seat. Oh, it's, it's awesome. My favorite part was the Moana part. They, they brought in a lot of the, um, a lot of the new or the, the golden age of Disney characters that hadn't really been in the, it hadn't been mentioned or too much in the, in the previous mm-hmm. one, uh, which was wishes. Um, so now they've got a lot of like, um, beauty and the beast, Moana. Aladdin, Moana, brave, uh, hunchback. Yep. Um, yeah. So a, a lot of the golden age, uh, not golden age, but a lot of the, uh, the rejuvenated Disney from like the nineties, nineties, two thousands, uh, actually made it in and it's really yeah, neat. The Mulan yeah. part was really cool as well. So, you know, my girlfriend and I did that. She treated me to that. Um, thank you, Susie. It was, it was amazing. Um, God, what else did we do? We went to the, uh, Epcot arts festival, uh, last Sunday. I finally had a turkey leg yeah. and, uh, man, I love both the Epcot arts festival and the turkey leg. Yeah. The arts festival was great. You know, they had artists scattered throughout uh, the world showcase and they had artists you know, doing live paintings. It, it was awesome. I really couldn't afford anything there other than, you know, a postcard size print, but it's a really good time. They had, um, Broadway performers doing, um, you know, shows on stage at some point earlier in the festival, they had some performers from the Lion King, which is actually playing here in Orlando right now. Um, so that was really cool. And we went to magic kingdom later that night. We, you know, went to a couple of festivals this weekend and, uh, I finally saw Get Out. And? I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And I agree. So, yeah. They, they did. So I, I saw it at, um, Disney Springs, formerly Downtown Disney, at the gigantic AMC movie theater that they have there. It was actually the one year anniversary of Get Out and I saw it for free. So thank you, Jordan Peele. For some reason, that it seems like that movie did not come out a year ago. It doesn't. No, it seems like it came out. Yeah, a year ago. I was I was surprised when I heard it was the anniversary. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because like even the even when I saw it on Netflix or no, when I saw it on um whatever channel has it HBO or Showtime mm-hmm. or whatever, I was like, wow, it has this already. And then I realized, oh my god, oh, no, it's, it's been out, been out for, for a, a year. Um, I actually missed the beginning of it, but 
Jordan Peele came on right before the movie started. Who directed the movie? Yes, you know, Peele of Key and Peele fame. And he said, you know, to the crowd, he said, if you guys haven't seen this movie yet, I, you know, I want you to yell at the screen. And, you know, if, if you're one of those people, don't turn around and say, shh, you know. Uh, and it actually made for a really fun viewing experience because those things that you internalize while you're watching a movie, there was no filter. Uh, you know, people were were yelling, you know, don't go in there, don't go in there, you know, or don't go up the stairs, don't – it was it was a really I actually had two um, enjoyable theater experiences in a row. I saw Black Panther last night and really enjoyed that. We and will talk about Black that. Yeah. So I'm looking at our, our script here, our list. And you were talking about all the wonderful things that came out in 1984. Aside from me, as I told you, wow, uh, I told you earlier <laughs> today or yesterday. The one thing that when I think 1984, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, body glove one-piece bathing suit with the, the neon chartreuse yellow one with the zipper down the middle. Oh, yeah. It was, like, in every poster and on beer ads and stuff like that. Like, in 1984, that's the thing I think. Because, in fact, I think I had that poster that with that said 1984 on it. Were you, like, three in 1984? I didn't have it in 1984. But, yes, I was, I was like, seven. Well, it was a good year. And it was the year that I was born. So I did a little research to, you know, see what was kind of going on in the, you know, things that would have been on my radar, things that are still on my radar, things that I still enjoy. And I came up with a list. So I won't go through all of everything that I wrote down, but some of the movies that actually came out in 1984 include. And and holy crap, there's a crap load of like classic iconic movies that came out in 84. Um, I didn't even put, you know, all of them on here, but you know, gremlins, we've talked about that before. Terminator, footloose, children of the corn, police Academy. Uh, (laughs) I had to put down Greystoke legend of Tarzan with, uh, Matthew Lambert. Mm -hmm. Um, or was it? Yeah. Christopher Christopher Lambert. I'm sorry. Christopher Lambert. That movie scared the shit out of me. I, re- I remember that one. I remember that one. This is Spinal Tap came out in 1984. Classic, yeah. Oh, well, I thought that was out earlier. Friday the 13th. I see the, I, I like the Police Academy on there because I, I do own yeah. now the um, box set of all seven of the Police Academy movies in Blu-ray. And I will at some point tie it, these two guys down to a chair and make them watch them straight through. I love Police Academy, man. Bobcat Goldthwaite and, uh, you know. And Noise Guy. <laughs> they don't remember Michael- his name. Winslow. Michael Winslow. Yep. Um, yeah. Steve Gutenberg. Yep. Mm-hmm, the, uh, mm-hmm. Grandfather of modern printing <laughs> was in that movie. Um, That's Brankin. a history joke. Yeah, it is. It's total history uh, no, joke. I, uh, I, I made the joke on Spaceship Earth. Oops. But uh, there, there's a couple others that that actually weren't on your list that I'm like, holy crap! Because Ghostbusters was also yep. '84. Yeah, uh, I skipped a couple. Yeah, Purple Rain, but also uh, Temple of Doom. Yes, was eighty four. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Beverly Hills Cop. I wrote etc. because there's so, so many Revenge of the Nerds, Romancing the Stone, The Last yep. Starfighter. What Splash? Oh Silent Night, Deadly Night, Never Ending Story. Yeah, there's a lot. It was a good year. Holy you know, crap! Are, I have the Last Starfighter. You know it's. It's sitting oh, it's right so next to good. me. And, and music-wise. Starfighter. Yeah. Um, 
music wise, a lot of the bands that I still listen to had their debuts that year. So debut albums for Run DMC came out in 1984. Oh wow! Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm-hmm. Anthrax was that their uh, debut? Yeah, Fistful of oh, Metal wow. came out in '84. Ride the Lightning by Metallica came out. Uh, I had to put Ocean Rain by Echo and the Bunnymen. I have no idea who that is. Black Flag. Uh, they did Killing Moon. It was on the Donnie Darko soundtrack. It was in the movie. New Wave Band from the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Black Flag actually released three albums in 1984. Oh, wow. Which is super weird. That's putting in some work. <laughs> super weird. Uh, what else? Um, Too Tough to Die by the Ramones. And Wham! Make It Big. That launched the career of George Michael came out that year. Nice. Another thing that I was super into when I was younger, um, used to watch it all the time, was wrestling. Oh, wrestling in the 80s, man. That was classic. So That was when all of the wrestlers were like superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they had superpowers. Now they don't really like have superpowers. They're just regular people. Massive amount of horse tranquilizers and like steroids. Yeah. That's why they had superpowers. (laughs) So wrestling debuts from 1984, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. They the Rockers. Were, they would form the Rockers in 1985, yeah. but they both got their starts in 84. Scott Hall, Razor Ramon himself. Nice. Started wow. in now, 1984. Now, was that, was that Razor Ramon or was that Scott Hall from – because didn't he go to – wasn't he in WCW first or in ECW or something first? He was in NWA before – that and some other smaller you know crockett promotions um as big scott hall he was up a mammoth of a man um at the time when not all wrestlers look like that he was also magnum scott hall mm-hmm. yokozuna made his debut sometime in 1984 and uh some guy named mark calloway Actually started in 84 mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember his debut. His debut was uh, Survivor Series, wasn't it? Mark Calloway or Yokozuna? Mark Calloway. I don't I don't really know who that is. Who's Mark Calloway? Who Who was he? That's The Undertaker. Oh, that's right. The Undertaker. Yes, the legendary Undertaker. Um, I believe he did started he in some slides. What's did that? Did he debut as Mark Calloway or does he, did he debut as The Undertaker? He was Mark Calloway. He had a big red mullet, and he was um he, he was Mean Mark Callis. Some of the games that came out in 1984. This list I was a little little disheartened by, I guess. Um, but I do remember these games fondly. Marble Madness mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. I think that was the first game I broke a controller over. So frustrating. It was extraordinarily frustrating. I used to get so mad at that game. I, used to get- I bought that game. Speaking of getting mad, I bought that game with mm-hmm. pennies. Really? Like I, oh. like I literally walked up to the cashier at Sears and dumped like fifty dollars worth of pennies onto the counter, and they looked at me like, "Are you serious, kid?" That's awful. Like, yeah, I kind of want to go back in time and beat myself up. <laughs> uh, I, although I did just find out that that Sears is closing. Um, my, I got that text tonight. That the Sears in the Town Center Mall. Is closing, Rob. So, oh, really? Uh, pour, one, pour one out for the Town Center Malsters. But uh, anyway, go on. Sorry for the aside. That's okay. Tetris came out in 1984. Excite Bike 
Oh, I loved remember it. that one. Yeah. Loved Excite Bike. I don't think I ever actually owned it, but I played at friends' houses. Um, it's great. And in sports that year, the Summer Olympics were held in Los Angeles, and Carl Lewis, who I used to love watching, uh, took home, I think, four gold medals. Um, the Winter Olympics were held in Sarajevo. The Detroit Tigers won the World Series. The Oakland Raiders beat the Washington Redskins in the Super Bowl. And the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird beat um, the LA Lakers. Lakers with Magic Johnson. Yeah. Now, was that was that before they started alternating the Summer and Winter Olympics? I think so. I, yeah. it was weird to read that they happened the same year. My my yeah, mom they only said started recently. Yeah, my mom said she was watching the Winter Olympics. Um, that was probably the first TV I ever watched. Ooh. I don't remember because I was a screaming, crying baby. Rob, do you want that one or should I take it? <laughs> go go for it. Go for it. No, I can't. But but Jimmy to uh to help you out with that uh with that video game one, there were there were actually some other ones that came out in eighty four. Um, some arcade games, right? Uh well no, Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt okay. was released in eighty four. Uh Kung Fu Master. I don't know if you remember that one or I not. do remember that. I remember playing that in the arcade. Yeah. You would go up and down the like each level of like the the building or whatever. And just kick and, and then people would like oh. run at you with their arms up in the air. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember one, uh, another one, but it's one that I played a lot because uh, it was it was one of the few games that they had for the Nintendo Blaster was Hogan's Alley. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember the graphics from that. The very blocky gangster looking guys. It, yeah, they had like the gangsters on it or whatever. So there's 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 a couple others for you. So thank you. It's 19, 19, 1948. 1984 in review. And and it was it was the debut for Bret Hart. In the WWE, he had been wrestling for a while before that, but '84 was his debut in the WWE as Brett the Hitman Hart. My father wanted to name me Brett ah. after Brett the Hitman Hart because he oh. was because Jimmy's father actually was a hitman. Uh, let's not talk about that. And he used to rip out people. And he used to rip out people's hearts. Can you kind of like Omar said? Can you imagine if my name was Brett? Not a Brett. Not that there's anything wrong with the name Brett. But I just I don't see myself as a Brett. Yeah. I think if I was named Brett, I would look different. Okay, and remember that's the Give Me Five podcast. All of you Bretts out there. <laughs> <laughs> I said there's nothing wrong with the name. I'm just not a Brett. You'd constantly be telling our students your name wasn't Brent. That's, that's not Brent. Guys. <laughs> I think that's probably a thing for, that Bretts have to deal with. All of you Bretts out there, please let us know if that's a constant annoyance that you have to uh, tell people you're not Brent. I'm not Brent. Okay, I think the time has come where we're going to talk about Black Panther. So if you've been listening and are very much enjoying the 80s talk and 1984 talk, but you did not see Black Panther, now is probably the time you want to jump ahead because it will be spoilerific. Yes, very spoilerific. And, and we'll figure it out and come back and tell you where to jump to. Yes. If one of you guys remembers, yes. Okay. I will. You can also feel free to... Do some sort of drinking game where every time I completely script the pronunciation of a name. I'm, I'm just gonna let you talk, man. Don't don't do that because you'll be you'll be smashed by the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. As of this recording, the Black Panther has been out in theaters for two weekends. Uh, it is the 18th Marvel film and is directed by Ryan Coogler. Uh, all of us have had a chance to see this movie uh, myself twice, actually. And nice. we call uh, him the Coog. Talk- the Coog. Yes. 
And uh, I, my typo got at me earlier, and I, I believe he was Ryan Kugels for me for a while. <laughs> Ryan Kugels. It was adorable. It's so cute. Anyway, Ryan Coogler and uh, we all have you know varying opinions about – we all like the movie, but we're going to kind of chat it out. And my wife is turning on a bathtub, which is really loud. It is really loud. So the movie stars Chadwick Boseman. I hope I'm saying that correctly. He plays T'Challa, who is the heir to the throne after his father, the king, has died, the king of Wakanda. In uh, in the last, what was it, Captain America? In was Captain America War? Civil War. Yeah, and Civil I think War. they did a really good job of introducing that character, like the Black Panther character in mm-hmm. Civil War, which was, I mean, it didn't seem like it was two years ago, but it's about two years ago. Wow. Yeah. And and, and, then, one of, and that was one of the things that I absolutely loved was that since they introduced him and gave like some of his, they kind of snuck some of his backstory into Captain America Civil War. So mm-hmm. then when, when we got Black Panther's movie, we had a movie that we didn't really have to do like any backstory whatsoever, and it was fantastic. Thank goodness. His yeah. first movie, and we didn't have to do any backstory. That's how you do it, DC. <laughs> Marvel's That's how you do it. Pretty dang good at that. But the but the other the other main character of the movie is um uh Eric Killmonger, who's played by Michael B. Jordan. He is the villain of the movie. Um Greg really liked him, even though yes. he's wrong. Greg really liked him. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit yeah. later. but Now I want to talk a little bit about that origin stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go ahead. Now, Marvel has not shied away in recent films about their very strange history. You know, we have uh, – this is a company that had a comic book character that is a talking raccoon that hung out with a talking tree. And they, they lead into that. Well, all things considered, it's a little strange depending on how far into your sleeping pill you are. Um, I'll take the red one. Yes. But, you know, on, in this movie, there's a lot of weird ideas and they introduced him really well with this like beautiful opening sequence with this like kind of liquid sand vibranium stuff that kind of formed the story of Wakanda and of this herb that gave the characters their powers and of just the history of, of the world outside of Wakanda. And Wakanda is this like closed off country that everyone thinks is just a third world country, but it's not. And I think they did a really good job of introducing that in a very beautiful way. They did. And it was, it's a trap. (laughs) Um, Different movie. Uh, You know, they introduced it in that pretty short sequence where, you know, I was told you can't miss the beginning of the movie. And well, it was, it was great. And it explained a lot. If you're five minutes late, you're going to be okay. Um, you know, the way that the, the film begins and it kind of introduces you to the world. Uh, it's, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a beautiful opening sequence. Don't get me wrong, but it's not an absolute must. Um, if you're familiar with Marvel at all, if you've seen civil war, you're going to be okay. And it is reiterated, you know, throughout the movie that Wakanda is this, you know, hidden nation. It's a, it does a lot of, introducing stuff and then reintroducing but not in a bad way yeah yeah. it's weirder concepts like um that the uh battle for rights to be the leader and what happens before it and what happens after it and then the imbuing of this black panther power using this heart-shaped herb so it's a they do a really good job of that without it being tedious they they introduce the world of wakanda i mentioned that wakanda is Mm -hmm. everyone thinks it's a third world country but it's really this technological marvel and it is beautiful 
you know, they they fly in. It's basically kind of through this holographic dome that kind of looks like a mountain from the outside, mm-hmm. and then they get in there. And it's this, you know, Afrofuturistic world of where there's technology, but that, like, I don't know if you noticed, some of the skyscrapers had, like, levels that had, like, straw hut roofs. Mm-hmm. And like plants, and actually, if you looked at a lot of the buildings that were based off of like real buildings, I could see I could find like the the Burj Al Arab kind of in there, but Africanized, and a couple other of like the Bank of China, I think, was in there. Uh-huh. But um, and it was just like I wanted to go there almost immediately, and I was like, I kind of wish this was a real place, and they they made it almost believable, like this could exist. Yeah, um, it it could exist if you know that that one or. Mm-hmm. you know, that powered everything, uh, was found that, you know, could potentially be out there. We don't know. Yeah. But the way Wakanda is set up is it, you know, radiates outward from the city center, which is where all your, your big skyscrapers and everything are. And it radi- radiates out towards the, uh, the outskirts of it are, are, you know, inhabited by the border tribes. You've got the mountain tribes. So it goes, you know, um, slopes off, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then okay, they you see the different tribes and the way they're dressed mm-hmm. and the way they they interact in a couple of series uh, of sequences, and the um they don't show any sort of animosity towards each other, which I think eventually will lead to something we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, and even with the mountain tribe that's led by Mbaku, played by Winston Duke, they are just in the movie they're independent. They, they don't necessarily agree with the um, how vibranium has been used to advance the technology, they, but they just kind of stick to themselves. Yeah, they're traditionalists. They, yeah. they don't like technology. They moved up to the mountains, and that's it. And and they they kind of they kind of follow along with their with their society's cultural beliefs, and they they hold their place and they maintain their place um, when they have the opportunity to challenge. They do. But otherwise, they they obey the laws of their of their country, and they they don't they're not they're not seeking to constantly undermine you know the leadership and and the well being of their country. Yeah. Now you mentioned Mbaku. He was he's actually a comic book character. As the kind of resident comic comic book fan here, he was actually a comic book character named Man Ape, which was uh, very <laughs> very problematic when it comes to you know the just almost accidental racism of 70s comics uh, where they tried and ended up failing on multiple levels of making things not racist. And so when they named that Winston Duke was going to be playing M'Baku, you know, what I heard was people have been like, how the hell are they going to get around that? A a character, because the character name of Man-Ape in the comic is M'Baku. And I think they took a very problematic comic character and turned him into a great movie character. Where again, I think they le- they just leaned right into it and made him like this is who this tribe worships, and it was it, they took it back is I guess really the best way of putting it. Mm. And it wasn't a mistake. I mean, I've I've heard interviews that said that they took you know that that that's what they set out to do, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the battle cry. Uh, okay, that's Rob's battle cry. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I didn't like this movie because I did enjoy the movie. I did like the movie. There were a couple of things in the movie that I had some problems with. Um, but we we just talked about it earlier. One of the things that I really liked um, 
was the the opening sequence that we were talking about with the 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 villain introduction, the villain the villain or, origin story, mm-hmm. basically um, in Oakland in 1992. What I what I really liked, and this this goes to what you were talking about, Greg, where they revisit stuff. Mm-hmm. You didn't know that that was the villain origin story when you were watching it. Correct. Very true. They came back to it, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. So, so you actually see a couple of versions of that scene and some extensions of that scene later in the movie. And that's how you, and you're like, oh, okay. So this is the origin story of the villain. Gotcha. All right. I think it's, I mean, I guess they've probably done it before where they start off the movie with the, with the origin story of the villain. But I mean, it's even being narrated by not one of the main characters. So that's the opening like narration is actually a story being told to the eventual villain. Okay, so we're going to kind of touch on the plot just a little bit here. Not If you want to see the movie, see the movie. You don't need to hear us talk about it for that long. Uh, this movie really kind of picks up almost immediately after um, the Black Panther's father dies in uh, Civil War. In fact, like basically, I think it's almost like he's on his way back and is, is about to get raised up to the level of king. So T'Challa, on his way back, uh, on his way to become king, to take the throne, stops, makes a detour, and picks up Nakia, uh, played by Lupita Nyong'o, who is his love interest, so that she can be there to watch him become king. She's a little more worldly. She's she's kind of bringing the thought that, you know, we have all of this technology. We should be out there helping people. And they kind of have her stopping yeah. one of those, like, one of those uh, generals you hear that are like, it's not, uh, that are like, you know, stealing girls from a school. A warlord or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, she, she's on a mission, guys. basically. Yeah. She's on a mission, and they show up and help her out, and she saves him or something. And She's not happy yeah. about getting taken away from her mission. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, my father's dead, and I'm about to be you know, named king, and I want you there. Uh, so basically that just kind of leads into the whole movie. And I think in the background of the whole, of the whole movie, it really – it's – it kind of flows from there in the background. There's kind of this idea of does Wakanda stay independent or does it help the world and how should it reveal itself? Cause no one knows it exists at the level that it does. Yes. Right there, but they don't know what it is. And the world thinks it's a basically like a third world country. Yes. Kind of hidden in the mountains. Nobody really knows. They don't really, you know, um, when in fact it is this technical technologically advanced society and Greg, you touched on it. The whole kind of first quarter of the movie or, you know, even through halfway through the movie, they're trying to figure out, you know, do we stay autonomous? Do we um, reveal ourselves? Or even as the character Killmonger introduces the idea that, well, hey, you know, people are repressed all around the world and we need to arm them. Mm -hmm. And while it sounds good in theory it does play out that he wants um unlimited rule un- um you know unlimited power to have the rest of the world bow to wakanda and and since you since you've gone ahead and touched on it i'll 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 jump in right there that that is one of the one of the problems that i actually had with this villain and i i'm not sure that my problems with the villain are so much um in relation to michael b jordan um, I think it's just more of how the villain was written. Um, he 
he starts out with his with his main main goal to be revenge for them killing his father. Yes, which so, they which is what they really were showing at the very beginning of the movie. Correct with the villain with the villain origin story. Yes. So his his main focus is getting revenge for the the death of his father. But then after he supposedly takes control, he immediately switches from wanting revenge to like wanting to start this race war. And I'm like, wait, how how did we get here? What? So he he immediately goes from want, just wanting revenge to wanting to become this warlord of this great nation where he sends, you know, uh all of these highly advanced weapons to Despise. to his his people throughout the world. Yeah. Now the spies are already plant, implanted. They they're yep. called uh, war dogs, I believe. And they're in every major city basically, which is, you know, even though Wakanda is autonomous, they still need to know what's going on in the world. So they do have these these people out there in various cities. And okay, yeah, I, I I did not get that they were that they were previously placed Wakandan citizens because from the statement that he was making, he says our people are oppressed all over the world and then something to the effect of these guns ought to level or these weapons ought to level the playing field. Yes. Yeah, so, and yeah. it's like now I don't think they were Wakandan citizens that were right. placed around. Yeah, they were was, they were his spies. He, they were part of his team. No, no, no. It's it's um the war dogs were were Wakandan citizens because the guy comes back and says there's only three of these war dogs that have been willing to listen to the new king, which will which is Killmonger at this point, and they're in Hong Kong, New York, and London. And he said, and then. Michael B. Jordan's character says, oh, the rest of them will call in line eventually mm. in that throne room. So they are already Wakandan citizens. But the reason why they all know about this is because his father was one of these Wakandan citizens that was placed as a spy. And all of – and any of these spies that are sent out into this into the world have this tattoo on – this glowing tattoo inside their lip so that they can get back in. So um, that's Michael B. Jordan's father when he was a little kid gave him this tattoo so he could reveal himself and come back and get to Wakanda if he ever needs to. That's Njobu. Yes. So what the way it turns out is that opening sequence with that we've talked about a bunch, it was revealing the fact that Njobu was out there in the world long enough and he was and I don't think this is a mistake. He was in Oakland in nineteen ninety two, which was apparently a time of great violence, as I believe Jimmy told me. And yes. he was seeing a ton of, of just black on black violence, white on black violence, black and white violence, all this stuff, knowing full well that there's, you know, a movie world that there's something that could help this from happening that could stop it. And he Im- imbued that in his son. And there is conversations early in the movie that I didn't catch the first time I saw it, that, <clears throat> that he was, he was, uh, not militarized. He was, um, he, he was starting to become a militant out there. Yes. And the reason why he ended up getting killed is because he was starting to steal this or this vibranium or mm-hmm. to, to sell off to various people and basically start the same thing that um, Killmonger eventually did. And it was, you had to kind of pick that out of various conversations, but, but Killmonger was basically furthering what his father had already planned to do. So it was revenge, but it was also in honor of his father because his father was putting him, was talking to him about it. 
Okay. I did not get that from his statements. Mm-hmm. It was it was spread out over three various images or three uh flashbacks. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Now, the fact that you yeah, the I, fact that I, it took I, me I, two showings I, to get it and the fact that you didn't I was going to say I think I I think I may need to go watch it again, but my I mean, I guess this is as good a place as any to talk about it. My my other issue with Killmonger, and like I was telling you guys before, I I think that part of my issue with Killmonger may have been that he was trained um, in the military to basically infiltrate societies. Um, By the CIA, but at times, I believe they said. Right. It, at times, it just really seemed like they couldn't decide what they want, what type of villain they wanted him to be. So they kind of made him every type, like all at the same time. <laughs> and And for me, it didn't work at times. Um, because they couldn't decide whether they wanted him to be the badass or if they wanted him to just be a thug or if they wanted him to be like the nerdy hipster. It's like, I, where, where are we going? Like what the, is going on here? Military like seal type. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they couldn't decide. They couldn't really lock down what type of villain they wanted him to be. So he was just kind of like a mishmash of whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of themes where the like, delivery I thought was a little weird and yeah. like, the conversation in the museum when they're stealing a a Wakandan. I artifact. thought it was really awkward. Did you? It was. It was the the delivery of lines there seemed out of um, place. It was like it seemed mm-hmm. honestly to me. It seemed like having seen a few rehearsals of things. It seemed like rehearsal footage where the person was just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. doing the lines in order for the other person to feed them the actual acting. Like you know, oh, mm-hmm. here's the part where I say this, and then the other actor like says that, but like. It was it was a little awkwardly cut, um, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm not sure in that in that specific scene I'm not sure actually who was to blame for that because because that whole scene left me feeling very lukewarm about Michael B Jordan as an actor mm-hmm. and I know that he's good I mean I know he's good but that that scene to me left more of the negative focus on Michael B. Jordan as opposed to the person who was feeding in the lines. You know what I mean? I I agree with that. Yeah. Um, when, and, you know, after that conversation, when he grabs the mask, and they're like, oh, you know, what significance does, does that have? And he's like, oh, I think it looks badass. I was just like, eh. you know. Yeah. Which is weird, but it, I, it, I actually kind of like that part in general. But I think it was more because of the remarkably good acting by uh, Andy Serkis as Claw. Yeah. Well, and and then and then they kind of make him for being this big military badass, then they kind of make him seem like like naive and stupid about the whole crime scene mm-hmm. thing. Kind of like a punk in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 he's like, why'd you let him run? And he's like, well, you know, if we spread the crime scene out to make us look like amateurs, that's good. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, wait, aren't they on camera? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was claw. Who said that? Uh, that that was weird. Well, they weren't on camera because they there's a, a cut scene where they had looped the feed. Yeah, no, okay. yeah. But no, it, not going to be too difficult to yeah, you know, find out who who was responsible for that. Mm-hmm. But no, because I think it did seem like it was out of nowhere. But I don't know if that's a byproduct of editing of of mm-hmm. writing. It very well could have been because like I mean, if we had more time to spend with these characters, it's okay for a character to be you know to have. You know, I want to get revenge, and also I want to raise up my people um, to have multiple things. But it has to be believable mm-hmm. in the writing, and not be like, "Oh yeah, well now I'm here. Let's do this now." You know, 
Yeah. yeah. And and that was that was kind of how I mm-hmm. felt about it with with the whole with the whole change in focus. I was like, wait, what? I what think, is going on? I think Marvel, as great as they've done, has created a bit of a villain problem for themselves uh, leading into, you know, Infinity War, where I guess maybe Loki is kind of the remaining villain, mm-hmm. kind of ish, where they have to introduce these villains and they have to get rid of them pretty quickly. And I think in the case of Killmonger, it was so much so fast. Um, trying to build him up, trying to make him, you know, he's got this good reason. Then they, you know, he becomes this power obsessed warlord, and then they have to eliminate him. That's actually a, a deal. that's and actually that, a really good point because Killmonger is not just a villain that came out in the '90s, and this character has been around since 1973. Right, he's been everything. He's been, you know, a, a bad guy like we saw. He's been a Punisher-like character. He's been, I believe he actually has been king in the comics. He's been alive. He's been dead. He's been all this stuff. And they know they have this character for one film. And maybe they did try to do too much. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know that they that that, that had anything to do with it. Because, I mean, Doctor Strange's villain, uh, Baron Mordo, what's his name? I mean, he's they didn't kill him mm-hmm. off. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that it was absolutely necessary. I don't know that... Infinity War was their focus on killing him off. I think that's just the way that it was written. I don't think they were like, "Oh, we got to kill him off before Infinity War." I mean, because they they haven't killed off other villains in the past. Yeah. I think that the other villain problem is like for most of the movies, the villains have just been, "I want to get this super powered Chachki and take over the world or destroy the world or whatever." Chachki. Yeah, I, I I dropped a Chachki. I did. <laughs> I need I need a little glass yeah, unicorn and. Recently, you know, between Civil War and who who had, a, I think, a great, great villain with good motivation, um, Spider-Man, which a lot of us agreed was one of the best villains of last year with the yeah. with the Vulture yeah, definitely. and this guy. There's there's yeah. more depth to the villains than just, well, I need to blow up the world because that's what I do. Um, and I, Some men just want to watch the exactly. world. Exactly. Thank you, Alfred. And <laughs> I, don't know, I just I really like that villain. I mean, I the best i'm not sure up there with one of some some of my more favorite villains and villains i would have liked to see more of i, I would have put him up there i know i i had i had too many problems with him for him to be up there but but uh, I, if we can move on for one second um a character that i do want to see a whole lot more mm-hmm. of uh was definitely shuri which is the sister who was every time she was on the screen i was laughing you know with her and yes. she stole her scenes absolutely I was excited to see what new tech she was going to introduce, you know, what she was up to, you know, she was, um, she was the super smart little sister. And she was a smart, to, she was a smart ass little sister. She was smart ass. Yeah. She was kind of fighting it against the, the history and the culture in a way. She was basically Q from James Bond. Mm-hmm. She was the one that invented all the cool stuff and she would make good jokes and she'd make terrible jokes that she then laughed at, you know, which I loved. Now, now you you also told me that she's supposed to be like sixteen, and I'm like, well, the girl in the movie definitely did not portray a sixteen year old shirt. I don't know. Where I I, heard I that. did not get that. They, I don't think from, they in, in the movie they never alluded to her being that young. I'm fairly certain of that. Yeah, because like I re- I think I read that she was sixteen in like an art in an article, not actually heard it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So right, and it looks as if it's um. 
but she's definitely 16 in the comics, but I'm not sure if they ever say it in the movie. Mm-hmm. But every time she's on the on the screen, I was, you know, happy with her character, her characterization and her interactions with other people and I think uh the actress Letitia Wright who uh, who I mm-hmm. randomly have seen in like four things recently like between that and uh the episode of uh, Black Museum uh but on Black Mirror, a couple other things I saw her in recently too. I was like, wow, this, okay. She's really good in everything. So I think she'll be a standout as well. Um, I think Winston Duke's going to end up being a standout as well. Um, cause he's, he was yeah. great and he had previously done some TV things. Um, anyway, so, you know, kind of moving, moving through it, they, it eventually leads up to a thing that I think Rob, uh, one of the other things you had a problem with, it leads up to Killmonger taking over as King in one of these like ritual battles. And mm-hmm. immediately saying like, okay, Wakanda is about to show itself. Let's start sending these weapons out, which we touched on. And one of right uh, T'Challa's friends, longtime friends, which is uh, Wakabi, who's played by uh, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. Uh, he immediately goes along with it. And I think you had a problem with that. As, as did I. No, that, that, that wasn't necessarily what I had the problem with. Um, yeah. To an extent, but my issue was more with um, how they had because they kind of painted themselves into a corner with it. Basically, um, the way that they had this set up was that Killmonger took over, right? And everybody's like, "Oh, this guy's terrible. We don't want him as our king." But that's the way that our society decides this stuff, so we have to bow to our um, our culture and whatnot. So they do, but the way that you become. Yeah, but the way that you become king is to either kill the 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 guy that you challenge or make him submit. Mm-hmm. You have to make him yield or kill him. That's the only two ways that you can become king. Well, he throws T'Challa off the cliff and everybody assumes that T'Challa mm-hmm. is dead. So when T'Challa comes back and isn't dead and didn't submit... Wait, I, hold That's on. Maybe it's out. like WWE rules and like throwing someone off of the cliff or waterfall is kind of like the Spanish announce table. <laughs> or, or T'Challa yeah, got counted yeah, out. Ten count. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I don't think so. And and so he he comes back and he's like and he says, "I did not submit. I did not yield. And as you can see, I'm not dead. So we're not done. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Ah, no, screw that. We're done. He's our king. Let's go." And I'm like, well, wait, what? Well, it's not everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's the 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 only ones who didn't were the Kingsguard. Nope. The only Every- ones that attacked against T'Challa were the border yeah. so tribe. The, it was the only the border tribe that did it, and they and uh, that was one of the things I looked for in my second viewing. Um, so, okay. so here's the deal: the way who was who was flying uh, border, the plane? It's the border tribe. So the way it breaks down is there's the river tribe that handles trade. Which is the guy? The guy that had the lip plate was the leader of that tribe. There's the religious group, which was um, a Forrest Whitaker character, and they kind of controlled all the the religion and the the ceremony. But the border tribe were actually they lived on the outskirts and they lived in those those huts that you saw, and that was supposed to be what everyone saw. But that was all. They're also the entire army. So whenever that general basically said, you know, decided they were going to go, the, everyone in that tribe had to listen to the general. Yeah, there's an earlier moment in the film that I thought um, alluded to the power of that army and how many people there actually were, where T'Challa is talking to him about, you know, 
going out into the world. And he says, well, I'll take my men right now and we'll make everyone bow. Yeah, it's a, it's a very early part of the part of the movie when they like, I think it's the first interaction yeah. between them. So even, even though weren't, weren't the, uh, weren't the heads of the other respective parties there at the same time. So they were there without any the, of their the people tri- at the trial, but they were not at that battle at the end. They were not. Cause I thought they were at, the, I thought they were standing up no, on the only platform. the, like you're talking about where the ships were launching. No, that was just the um, yeah the sister, the head of the guard, and and the head of the guard was Okoye. Okay, of the so, Dora Milaje, yeah. who were very begrudgedly following the uh, the new king Killmonger. But as soon as T'Challa showed back up, they were like, "Oh, well, no, that's our actual king. So now we're gonna fight you guys." And they were horribly outnumbered by the armor by the border tribe. Um, and then that's where, you know, Mbaku shows up with the, the mountain tribe and kind of shifts the, the favor of that battle mm-hmm. back. Yeah. It's, they're, they're a very separate thing. Now remember, we're only, okay. we only kind of saw the city and stuff like that. Everything was, was a lot more spread apart. So it's not like this battle was going on and everyone knew about it. You know, it was the, the mine was further, was far away from other things. The, the you know, from the market area and, uh, I'll have, to, I'll have to take your word for it. I'll have to go back and watch it again. But I think if that's the case, that it's a very poorly written and very poorly edited movie in that case. I would I would have to re- reassess my judgment of the movie. If, if the movie makes it appear that there's giant plot holes simply because of the way that it's written or the way that it's edited, even though that there's not, that's something that should have been addressed when they actually made the movie. I mean, you can have something where people go against their tradition with you know but you have to you have to kind of explain how they how they come to change change their mind it can't just be a well, i think they oh well you know what a, a little bit of a disservice early on when they did the the first battle thing where mm-hmm. they showed all the other tribes who had the ability to try to take the king you know, the kingdom by, by battling and all of them were like no and even gasped right when there were people that decided to do it like, oh, no, no, this is our king, even though we are from different tribes that are right. all together. So I do think that you, in some ways you're right there where there was they never showed anything, any sort of distress amongst the groups. And 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 thinking about it, I think you're absolutely right, because now now that I think about it, if that scene hadn't been in the movie, I might not have even, even like thought the, about the it. sister raises her hand kind of as a joke. Everyone's but, like, oh. Right, right. So I, I think you're right. If that scene, that previous scene where they had the actual battle for the, where they had the, the combat for the, for the throne, if that scene hadn't been in the movie, I think you're right. I don't think I would have even thought twice about it. But the fact that they addressed that and made it so much of a, of a thing, I was like, wait, wait a minute. This, you and, and that, and it ended up being an issue for me. <laughs> oh, good thought, Greg. I hadn't even thought of that. I think really the only, the only thing that, might be a mistake is just the how all in Wakabi is, despite T'Challa being his friend. Now he does owe a little bit of a I don't know if it's a blood oath because it's not really spelled out, but he does owe Killmonger a lot because Killmonger does deliver the man that killed his father dead to his doorstep, basically. So it's entirely possible that Wakabi's just like, you know, oh, you were the person that finally killed this person. I need to pledge my allegiance to you. Because that's how Killmonger. That's one of the ways Killmonger gets in, other than the tattoo that he had, that he had. But yeah, yeah. But 
But T'Challa could have been like, well, we had him, yeah, but this, was, uh, yeah. this I mean, dude I let him think go. That was a little poor because there, it, it could have been one line you know, that he would have said because Wakabi is angry at T'Challa for not getting him. And he's like, well, we had him in custody, but the dude that you're now bowing to or that just showed up here is the guy that, you know, broke him out. Yeah. So you could have killed him good. yourself. Yeah. You could have you know, killed him in a, in a alignment with uh, Wakandan customs. Um, but it also, uh, the the one group that kind of stuck with T'Challa battle-wise was the, the group of uh, the Dora Malahe, and which is the uh, all-female guard, and who are complete badasses. And yes, the king's I love mm-hmm. They were the only one that held yep, the customs. They were, they... The customs. You know, said, look, we, we are the guard of the king. It doesn't matter who the king is. That's what we were trained to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And when Killmonger is out, outed as not actually being the king, they... You know, they, they're not afraid to take them on. So this group of, of guards that saw this well-trained dude kill their king, in theory. They threw him over the top rope. Yeah, they basically, they, they took his ass out. <laughs> or they took it. They, he got they, eliminated they, from they, the Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah, they did. Back to the wrestling stuff. I, I really liked that, that group. I thought they were really well done. You know, I just, I, I like the movie a lot. And as, as you're probably telling me, I saw it twice, so... I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it was very interesting that, uh, Greg, you read that the original director's cut was, what, four hours long? Yeah, I guess there was something that came out that said there's a four-hour cut out there somewhere. It was like the first one, and then they were like, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> I I would love to see it now. Hopefully, you know, it would explain some of those holes. Um, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm cheap. I've talked about it before. I actually just saw Thor again last night in the Dollar Theater, and I'm looking forward to, well, it might be a while for Black Panther to come to mm-hmm. the Dollar Theater so I could see it again. And uh, just, you know, a few other little things. I thought the the end scenes. So as Jimmy mentioned, the main character, the, the main villain. Yeah, yeah so the main the villain spoilers. basically is defeated. He's got, you know, a giant knife stuck out of his chest, basically. And T'Challa's standing over him watching the sunset. He's like, you know, I could save your life to Killmonger, who was again dying with this big sword in his chest. And and uh, I think, you know, the the line is dropped by by the character by Killmonger. It's like he's like, nah, just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships because they knew death was better than bondage. And you know that that got a cheer from my theater. It was just like, I I don't want to be in prison. I want to be free or dead. And it really it stuck with his character. You know, he stuck he stuck with it and. Even though I was sad to see that character go, I think he left on his own terms. Not saying he did terrible things throughout the movie. I mean, he killed quite a few people. In fact, if you hit one of his aspects of his character, he's got like tribal scarring on him for every person he killed. And there's not just a few scars. It's like hundreds. Yeah. It's covered in them. Yeah. There there is almost a moment where it's like, oh, he's actually going to see the sunset. And you're like. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, like yeah. The first time we saw him, or one of the first times we saw him, he was poisoning a museum person who was you know, just a person studying artifacts. <laughs> At the end of the day, he kind of gets what he wants, where it's just not in that kind of you know villainous, over the top, dominate everyone. But T'Challa, at that point, kind of is like, you know, we're gonna show the world what Wakanda is all about and what we have. I think it's time. And you know. Right. And, and pushes the initiative of, of social and community outreach there. And, and yeah, but they well, at the very end of the movie, they go back to where mm-hmm. uh, Killmonger grew up. Oakland. And 
like, oh yeah, these these buildings they're they're condemned. It's like, no, actually, I uh, T'Challa says, actually, I bought them. I'm going to turn them into a community, a Wakanda outreach center. Well, he says, yeah, he says, well, I bought that one, and he goes, well, I bought that one too, mm-hmm. and well, I bought that one, and that one. Um, and I thought it was a really great moment. You know, their reveal. I, I love the little kids going over and talking. Like this, the spaceship arrives, and there's little kids playing basketball, and they go over to the spaceship and start talking to his sister. There's the technology girl, and the, she's like showing them the spaceship in the background. And like one of the kids kind of comes over to him, and it just like, is that yours? Um, which I thought was really great. It was, it was very, in a way, kind of gave me the same general feeling as the end of the Last Jedi with the little kid in the in the broom. Another spoiler for you. And I guess the other the the uh, the other things were the after credit scenes. Stay all the way to the blue screen. Uh, one of the end credit scenes, the first one, like the the mid credit scene, is T'Challa basically revealing every, you know Wakanda to the world, and he basically says, "I'll I'll read yet another movie quote." It says more connects us and separates us, but in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the fool, while the foolish build barriers. Uh, we must find a way to look after one another as if we were one tribe. And one, I think that leads directly into Infinity War, where it's like the whole world needs to stop what's coming. Yeah. And two, it's definitely a shot across the bridge of uh, uh, of real life people that right. are all about building barriers instead of bridges. I agree. Who's last names rhyme with frump? Yes. As I don't know when they filmed that part, um, but you know, I thought it was a really good. It was a good, a good point, and it was a, and it made sense in respect to the movie we just saw right and and also and also in re, in regards to the villain that he had just defeated mm-hmm. yeah exactly um you know it's the the villain was not entirely wrong but he was going about it the wrong way yeah and for the uh for the second one you should do that one also because your theater had the best comment of the night oh boy so the the last one was a reminder so earlier in the movie when uh, Everett Ross gets brought in with an injury and uh, Shuri, the sister, is like, uh, I, I just love fixing up white boys, basically. I, I get to fix up another I get to fix up another white boy. So the end of the very end of the movie shows what that's all about. And what that is all about is it cuts to an area near the river where there's a hut and there's some kids kind of looking at whoever's in the hut from that person's view. And it turns out that it is Bucky or Winter Soldier uh, or uh, I guess, yeah, Bucky or Winter Soldier. And they're calling him uh, White Wolf, I believe. So he gets up and he's got, you know, he's being healed in Wakanda, which totally, like, I forgot that that's where he ended up at the end of Civil War because he was all, mm-hmm. like, brainwashed by Hydra. But the in my theater, someone, as he got up and stepped out of the, the hut shirtless and with long hair and a beard, uh, some person behind me goes, it's Jesus. And I, <laughs> I cracked up. The whole theater cracked up. It was actually really funny. The theater lost it. Yeah. I was like, well, okay, fair enough. Now, you know, my nerd self was like, no, it's Bucky. What do you? Oh, yeah, but yeah, he does kind of look like Jesus. You're right. Yeah, it's a little bit. So anyway, um, that was uh, Black Panther, and I, uh, yeah, I suggest seeing it and kind of formulate formulate your own opinions. It's been number one for two weeks in a row. So um, someone, I'm pretty sure that most of you guys have already seen it. Actually, not a bad movie to see in a crowded theater. And that's a assuming, huge thing coming. Assuming, of course, that your theater going audience is not the complete jerk kind where they're answering their phone, getting up, walking around, and talking for the entire movie. Yeah, it's weird. It really kept everyone in the crowd engaged when I saw it. It I, I had not seen that in a long time. I mean, I you know, I probably just got lucky, but So go see it. It was good. Yeah. 
I normally hate everyone in the theater that I'm with, but check it out. All right. So as I talked about previously, a new album was coming out. It has come out since then. It is called Arson. It is the fourth fourth studio album by the band Harakiri for the Sky, who I loved immediately because I think the name itself paints a beautiful image. Uh, I think it's very clever. And to me, it just means a, a storm opening up, you know, kind of slitting the sky open and just torrential, endless kind of storm. And that's the way the music sounds to me. Now, it's nothing super new. You know, that's not to say it isn't bad. It's kind of the same way I feel about the latest Cannibal Corpse album, how it's, okay, well, that's Cannibal Corpse. And it's good. You know, so if you like that style, um, now I'm, I'm not saying that this album is in the style of Cannibal Corpse. This album is in the style of Harakiri for the Sky. It's uh, very quick guitars, very quick guitars, and the vocals are pushed back. I know they are the songs I listen to. They're, they, they absolutely the music are. Comes first. Yeah. And I think the vocals, they're done that way on all three of their previous albums. It's almost, like the singer Timmy is screaming in agony. Um, he's by himself in kind of a cavernous a room. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, just screaming in the dark is, is how I feel about it. Uh, the music is very, you might call it depressing in a way. Uh, it's it, the tones are, are not, you know, happy tones. It's like you said, quick oh. guitar, but it's not thrashy. Mm-hmm. By any means, it's it's melodic uh, to a degree, in my opinion. I'm no music expert, but you know, uh, there was it was almost like the like solo guitars. Like I want, I keep on saying Dragon Force, but I don't want to say Dragon Force because it's not. But it's like that same kind of it's that same tone of a guitar, but not the same type of music. Does that makes sense. I get that. It's absolutely not the same type of music. Um, we have talked about it before. I'm not huge on some of these labels that are given to, mm-hmm. to music. I think uh, a lot of these labels are invented by people who want to sound smart when they're talking about it. So I read that Harakiri for the Sky is post-metal. And I say, well, what the hell does that mean? Because there's, not over. it's not over, right? It's like post-punk or proto-punk or I hate terms like that uh but the term that i can agree with most for harakiri for the sky is atmospheric black metal also if you're rob you won't like to put it another way it's like the singer his name's jj um what that stands for i don't know they're austrian i thought they're australian whoops no (laughs) they're austrian um the guitar player actually is a multi-instrumentalist so he does like all of the music. Of course they hire people to play live. Um, but yeah, it does sound like the singer standing 50 feet away from the microphone. Yeah, it's true. Screaming his brains out. Um, they're very even. They're not super high pitched. Uh, what did surprise me on this album was the inclusion of clean female vocals. I didn't know. Which I've not heard. Yeah. It's on the song, uh, manifesto. That was actually the first song that I heard. Um, after Heroin Waltz, which is a song that they released a video for. That is that heroin like a female hero or heroin like the drug? No, heroin the drug. <laughs> uh, 
heroin waltz. Uh, is... Can we just applaud heavy metal band names? Like well, I saw a band a concert poster today for a band called Ultra Vomit. Ultra Vomit. <laughs> I was like, um, great. Yeah. Just go with that. Like nice. you already know what they sound like. That's they're guttural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that track really surprised me. Um, that's manifesto heroin waltz. There's actually a video for it. It's black and white. It's sad. It's very graveyard. It's not in promotion of hard drug use, but it's actually, I read an interview somewhere that said, you know, to remind people that, that life is, is fleeting and life is beautiful. Um, although you wouldn't hear that by, you know, initial listen my favorite track off the album is stillborn i think out of all harakiri for the sky about two and a half minutes in it has a very interesting change in the uh the drums and guitar that if you listen to it you'll have to let me know what you think so fans of black metal fans of falls of raros or ambient you know atmospheric kind of stuff you'll like it and if you're not looking for strong overpowering vocals but melodic guitars and you know drums that go along with it check it out let me know what you think cool. that is arson by austrian metalers harakiri for the sky i hope i get the opportunity to see them live not french metalers ultra vomit though nice not the same people no it, yeah. yeah i've i've seen yeah. so many metal bands like it's like bird flesh and <laughs> toxic holocaust i, I love um <laughs> Goat whore, you know, decrepit birth, yeah, hammerfall, <laughs> hammerfall. They're pretty epic. Um, I could list ghost. That's not metal. It's not ghost, and it's not metal. No. Okay, so um, I feel like I'm in class, and I was assigned something I need to now present to the class. We had homework. We had homework. So Jimmy assigned me Ninja Scroll, which. Listeners of the podcast will know that I was not the world's biggest fan of various anime, except for Ghost in the Shell and Akira. Both excellent. And uh, both excellent. And in 1993, another anime film came out and came over here, uh, and that was Ninja Scroll. I believe, Jimmy, you said it came over here around 95. Yeah, uh, it was released in, you know, overseas in, in 93. Um, I don't believe I actually saw it in 95. I saw it. Not very long after that, actually. Yeah. So and I, I was go able ahead. to watch it. I was able to watch it. I watched it. They have it available on you on you or Yahoo, and it's not like Yahoo. It's yeah, Yahoo. It's available on Yahoo, and it's it's streaming, and it's you don't have to have a service or anything. But it's also not illegal. It's one of those things you can just watch. They just ask your age, and there's a couple ads during yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't know that I'd recommend it for an 11 year old, Jimmy. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was that was the other I thing. I didn't so. say that. Well, no, if you didn't if you didn't see it, if you saw it very close after nineteen ninety five. Oh, I was a, no, you were you yeah, oh. we're, we're gonna get to that. Let me okay. let me give my little okay. thing. So that was my assignment. God, some people are just right. teachers pet. I was a little badass kid. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it came out. Um yeah, I did I I was actually excited to watch it. I've watched it twice. Nice. So I watched it because I watched it a while ago. And then I told you I've, I also watched Blade of the Immortal, which is a live action thing. And I started getting them confused a little bit because there's some kind of similarities with the the way yeah. the fights go. You said one is live action and one is anime. So I watched it again today. And basically the, the general story from Ninja Scroll again, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you know, you're probably going to see it. You probably aren't going to see it, but you should. Uh, it's basically a guy who um, 
Jube. Yeah, Jube. And he rescues the, or there's a bunch, group of people that get killed. There's an investigator kind of ninja named Kajero Kagero, uh, who's female, and she basically gets caught up in this war with the eight devils, which are these like super powered villains, basically. You know, with one of them turns to stone, one of them is blind but has really good hearing, one of them can like release snake tattoos, one of them can like create electricity. So these kind of boss type um, characters. He's like um, the Oprah of snake tattoos. Yes. You get a tattoo and you get a tattoo and you get a tattoo. No, he makes, um, or she, right? Yeah, she. Makes her snake tattoos come off of her. Anyway, go ahead. And um, so Jubei rescues this, this girl and they you know, kind of proceed to take down each of these eight devils. Um, first of all, I thought the style was really good. The first thing I, I thought was I thought that the lighting in the anime was beautiful. Mm. Uh, when they are investigating this group of people that got killed, they're, they're kind of doing this shot that actually looked like an old um, video game of these people like jumping through trees. And it was, it's like a black and white shot. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're showing people way up in the trees kind of jumping. And you only see like the glancing edge of the trees with like the light, these like white lines of light. And then they cut into someone's face and it's kind of the same thing. So you're really only seeing the face by the outside outline. It's like, wow, the lighting is beautiful in this. Even when they turn the heads and it wasn't computer animation back then. So I thought that was really beautiful. I also, at the first time that someone got beheaded and they did like the beheading, the pause, and then the spray of blood straight up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost cheered out loud because I'm like, that's what I want in an anime. Yeah. Like that's, it needs that, that, you know, that look to me. Um, I had seen some artwork from this, I think, before, because it, it does look a little different than most anime, because it seems it's more elongated. It does. Like, their character mm-hmm. faces are a little bit longer, and the colors are a little bit more muted. Like, almost, I mean, it, it sounds stupid because it's, like, the name, but almost like they're painted on a scroll, but without all, like, the paper background. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the colors are a little muted. Or it could just be because I watched it on Yahoo, but it worked. So, um, and then it really, yeah. it, 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 it kind of played out like like a video game. You know, where would you would they, you say that the that the art style is kind of similar to like Cowboy Bebop? I wouldn't and know what that is. It's it's been a while yes. since I've seen since I've seen Ninja Scroll, so I'm just trying to remember it the best I can. But it is okay. Um, if if you want to draw a comparison, it's it's very close to Cowboy Bebop for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, yeah, like each one of these eight devils is like increasingly powerful and has you know crazier powers. Does the of course the thing where each one has a different type of weapon, you know, like oh you're the one with the metal metal the metal mechanical claw, you're the one with the swords or whatever. Um, the one that was completely horrifyingly creepy was uh, Musiso, who uh, controlled hornets, and they lived in mm. a beehive growing out of his back. Oh, and it, yeah. yeah. And first of all, he was goofy looking anyway. He was like hunchback and you know whatever. But um, he also revealed that to me, I apparently do suffer from uh, tri- tripophobia. Is that what that is? Where you don't the, like the fear of holes. Yep, the fear of like organized holes, like um, beehives or that those um, whatever those pods are that grow and like people put them in like dried planters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a fan. Good that you knew that though. I'm I'm impressed. I had to actually look that up. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I liked it. I enjoyed them. <laughs> I enjoyed watching it. Um, except for the weird uh, creepy hornet guy. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad. Um, you say muted. It's not. <clears throat> um, I'd say it's the the colors are muted, but they're 
rich. They're deep. They're dark. Yeah. Um, with the exception of, you know, some of the scenes that are in light. But as you said, the lighting when a character walks by a torch or a, a room is illuminated by torchlight or something, it's very flickery. It's very accurate in a way. Um, the light comes from where it's supposed to. It's not, you know, just these rehashed frames of animation where they have the character's face holding for, you know, 30 frames while the mouth changes. And they have like lines going behind them, which drives me nuts. Yeah. It's, it's very close to Castlevania, which we've talked about and, you know, really looking forward to that coming back. But Ninja Scroll set a precedent for me. Um, as far as the fight scenes, the, the gore, the, um, you know, content, it was not Pokemon by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they, they incorporated effects that you'll see in, you know, cheesy old horror movies with these practical effects. Like you said, they cut the head off, the sword slices through the neck, pauses, and then the blood sprays out. Uh, it's very satisfying in, in that sense. So I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, now let, that being it's, said, it's why, well, that it's why said, most, in, okay. Rob, Rob was correct. You should not have been watching that at 11. There, there, there was some nudity. <laughs> And, there was there was some and some of the very, sex. I, I may have been thirteen. There, there, there was some sex. Um, I, I was. Um, I started watching it at work. <laughs> told you not. You did not. So I, start, I, I told you not to watch it around the boy. So I started watching it at work, and then I stopped watching it at work. Um, about <laughs> that seven, was probably a good decision. Seven to eight minutes in, <laughs> when uh, the rock guy. You know, decided to, um, I'm going to say molest, but it was worse than that. You know, the, the young girl. And then also the, you know, snake, snake girl was, was all sorts of naked. And there were some other conversations about, uh, the main character not, you can't have sex with her because you will get poisoned and then die. So there, there were some sex situations and I'm ashamed of 11 year old you. Let's say 12. 12. Um, <laughs> Ninja Scroll. Ninja Scroll is the reason why most other anime sucks to me. So there you go. Which is about the same with me and Akira and Ghost in the Shell and now Ninja Scroll as well. Nice. Rob, you also had an assignment. I did. Yes. And and there was there was a time and and Jimmy can attest to this. There was a time while I'm doing the assignment that he almost had to give me something else. Yep. Because I was it, 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 Jimmy assigned me a book called uh, Gates of Fire yes. by uh, Prescott, I believe it was. Stephen Pressfield. Oh, Pressfield, Pressfield, Stephen Pressfield. Um, and it's ha, – my first question is, is how how accurate is it? I mean, was Nobody all of really this – oh, okay. Okay. Now, now, remember, I didn't know what you were talking about. I got a, the occasional text like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I had no idea what you were talking about, so I just kind of let it slide. Apparently. I didn't either. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, like now you had, now like, that you weird... say that, I'm like, oh, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you had, like, fat fingers going on, so it was like, I was like, did he just, like, was that a weird outburst that he had? I didn't know. What you... But I get it. You know, we talked about it, and go on with your review. Yeah, the... you can. Like I said, I don't know how accurate it is historically, but it's it's written from the point of view of a survivor of the original of the Battle of Thermopylae 
the the Persians basically capture him and they're forcing him to give a recounting of the Spartans and what happened during the battle and all of that. Um, now, the the problem that I was having early on was the the book is beautifully written when it comes to describing the actual battle scenes. It's it's mm-hmm. it's very engrossing. It's very descriptive. You can see what he's talking about in your mind. A lot of the exposition, however, it's very it's very flowery. It's in that like um, that old English, ancient Greek kind of um, descriptive, where he's talking about something and he'll. He'll be having a conversation and then he'll go off on like a 10 minute tangent about, you know, raising a dog or something and hunting <laughs> and and then come back and say, and that's how I felt at that moment. I was like, wait, what? Where how did we get back here? I mean, it was it was like, you know, th- there would be like these almost like an entire separate story to bring you right back for him to say, and that's what it feels like. And I'm like, like, wait, what? I'm sorry, where were we? Yeah, exactly. And I kept getting lost in the story because he kept breaking off on all these tangents and was almost like Inception because I felt like there was tangent inside a tangent inside a tangent. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? (laughs) So like for the first couple of chapters, I was having a really hard time getting into it. Um, But once about halfway through the book, I think it it actually gets to the Battle of Thermopylae. Mm Mm-hmm. And from there on, it's it's actually pretty steady, and you know I'm listening to it and, and really enjoying it. Um, but man, it was it was it was a slog through that first couple of chapters because I was just trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Hey, I'm still trying to read The Watchmen. Oh, yeah. So I understand that. Um, I said skip the part. part. Wait, and, <laughs> I can't. And, I can't do that. I cannot do that. It just. Sorry, my tangent, real quick. I cannot start a book. A series, anything like that, and skip parts. I can't do that. There's and, something in my head I cannot. And one of the problems that I had was that I couldn't do that. Yeah, because I was listening to an audiobook, and that, in fact, is one of the one of the downfalls of doing audio is that mm-hmm. you can't really easily go back and reread a paragraph. No. Like no, you, you you've got to back it up and hunt and be like, what was that? I don't, I don't know. And you okay, can't really so, skip forward because you don't know the chapters and everything like that. Right. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, I've, I've come to learn and accept with audiobooks, uh, namely the book that I've been assigned right now mm-hmm. that while I'm very much enjoying it, there are parts where I'd be like, wait, who, wait, who were they talking about right there? And I just kind of have to accept it and go forward and mm-hmm. hope that it comes back around. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention this eventually um, in the future, but like with audiobooks, I need to see the names also. Cause like, I guess I'm visual like that where if, like if it's a, mm-hmm. if it's not real names, you know, if it's like made up names for a fantasy book or for like a Star Wars book, I never remember who they are. Yeah. Um, I'm actually the book that I'm listening to right now. I am not having that problem for some reason. Um, now, Rob, because I have not listened to the audiobook, I listened mm-hmm. to a clip of it. Um, how was the narration? Um, the narration actually was was very good, you know, mm-hmm. aside from like all the tangents and stuff. But again, that's not the narrator's fault. Um, but he he honestly, the narrator honestly really reminded me of 
the guy that Leonidas sent away in the movie 300, the guy who had the gift for oration or whatever. Um, and he wanted him to go tell their story to the Spartans and to the Greeks and everybody else. He sounded yeah. a lot like the guy that played him. Okay. Just, just in the way he talked and everything. And it was, I, I really enjoyed the narrator. I, I mean, I enjoyed his voice. I enjoyed the way he spoke and everything like that. There were a couple of things that I was like, is that really how he pronounces that? Um, oh no. Yeah. Well, having, having watched the movie, I'm familiar with Leonidas, right? Yeah. The, the entire book, he called him Leonidas. Oh no. Yeah. And I was like, and it, and it kind of grated on me because I really like the way Leonidas sounds better, but, mm-hmm. and, and I'm like, no, his name's Leonidas. Stop it. <laughs> and to be fair, um, this book is not related to Frank Miller's 300. Correct. Um, Stephen Pressfield does have a, uh, I think a, a fantastic way of illustrating battles. And when I got to those battles, I could not put the book down. Right. Yeah. It and I was, of, I was the same way. I kept wanting to listen. I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is a good part. This is a good part. Um, Gates of fire for me reignited a passion for reading. That's, okay. you know, one of the reasons that I assigned that because I hadn't read for a long time. I hadn't, you know, I, I, kind of stopped after reading Dragonlance. Um, and when I couldn't find any more, I went through my super badass kid phase and I was watching adult movies like Ninja Scroll. Um, ashamed. And Be then ashamed. I was right. Yeah. I, I was it's told you have to read this book. You have to read this book. And I went and checked it out and you know, I loved it. So I'm glad yeah. you, I'm, I'm glad you did enjoy it when you got to the, you know, and, and one of the other parts. Right. And well, one of the reasons I asked why it was whether or not it was factually accurate was they were they were actually saying. And one of the things that amazed me, if it's actually true, was that during the Battle of Thermopylae, at the time of the Battle of Thermopylae, uh, Leonidas was like in his 60s, according to the book. Mm. And I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) All of the stuff that they did and Leonidas was in his 60s. But they also they also made an excellent an excellent um, point to to basically illustrate while they were supreme warriors, unlike in the movie Three Hundred, they were still pretty human. I mean, they were they were you know a superior fighting force. They were well organized. They were well trained. They knew what they were doing. Repetition is the key, and they did it all the time. And but it also addressed um, you know like how hard it was for them to get out of bed in the morning, you know, how they had all these injuries that kind of built up on them and it, and it made it difficult for them to get moving in the morning. They had to loosen up their joints and stuff. They creaked when they got up and how their squires had to, had to um, oil their muscles and, and basically massage them out so that they weren't like all clenched up and everything. That was Rob's absolute um, part. It was, it totally was. I was, I was just muscles. imagining that. Yeah. And rubbing them down. It was great. But, um, but, <laughs> So while the um, the account of the uh, you know last stand of the you know allied forces, um, Leonidas is said to have died around the age of sixty. Um, okay. The the no one really knows parts of the books are the dialogue between people. I mean, um, as we know, you know, passed down through times, things get skewed and distorted, but. Um, it is supposed to be 
much more accurate retelling uh, of the battle at Thermopylae over the, you know, kind of comic book idolized version right. of it in 300. Right, right. And the movie. Right. For well, and, and, and the reason I asked is because the premise of, of the book itself is actually quite believable where, where this, this is a recount that was told by a captured Spartan. Or actually, he wasn't technically a Spartan. He was one of their, their valets, I guess, if you will. Um, but come the end, he was fighting right alongside with them. So all of, all of the peers, which is what they called the, the full-fledged Spartan warriors, Mm-hmm. All of the peers were killed in the battle, but he he actually was alive. You know, there were by the end there were so many of them that were so injured that some of them could hardly stand, some of them could barely hold the spear. Um, but you know, it was it was it was actually a very good retelling. And and the reason I asked if it was historically accurate is because the way it was told was actually very believable. It's supposed to be more accurate than three hundred. That's the best I can give you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't you. know Leon, Leonidas. I mean, you know, we we Personally. hung out. We hung out with different crews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in one breakdance crew. He was doing his thing. You know, we are passing. Yeah, just yeah really Leonidas crossed. is definitely a name that has right. fallen out of favor these days. Don't run into a lot of. Yeah, you don't. You don't find too many of them. Got a lot of Bellas and yeah. Jacobs and. Um, but no Leonidas. What's the other Twilight guy? Ryan. <laughs> Jacob, Bella, Bella and Jacob, and Steve. No, I don't know. It's Jacob's the werewolf. Who is it? That's we have now devolved into Twilight conversation. Uh, Edward, 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 yeah. Edward, Edward. That one's pretty classic. So, well, so, thank you the, guys. Thank you. the The book in itself yeah. is very good. The book in itself is very good, and I and I would recommend it for anyone who's actually interested in that time period. Cool. Um and. If you if you like, and here here's where I pitch one for you. If you like his like historical books that that have a ring of truth to them, but actually don't read like a history book, I might suggest one of the ones that I found um, probably in my teens, early twenties, called Dungeon Fire and Sword, mm, and it's basic. Fun. It's basically a a accounting of the Knights Templar during the Crusades. Okay, uh, I but will add that to my massive queue of books yeah, that I have yeah. to read. It's, but it's but it's very well written, and it doesn't read like a history book, which was one of the things I really liked about it. I want to have my own library. This fill up really fast. <laughs> yeah, because I've always wanted to have my own library, so, and now well, I've got I've two been... of my own libraries because I filled up the shelves really quick. That are full of Legos. Yeah, but I also have, you know, a five-year-old who's not allowed to play with those Legos. He knows what he did. Anyway, <laughs> I think the time has come. So the time has come, and I appreciate you both doing your due diligence. Um, I'm currently working on Rob's assignment, which we As will have I. in the future. But, you know, the question— and I actually, I actually should have split it up. I shouldn't have assigned you both the same thing, but— I really wanted you both to to check that out because I think you'll really like it. Too late. I'm really enjoying it. I enjoy it. Um, good. Okay. So, so. Good. <laughs> the parts where he doesn't have to remember names because yes. he can't pronounce any of them. That'll be a fun episode <laughs> too. So, um, it was my turn to assign a question. And I didn't know whether to choose something with ninjas. I, I didn't want to choose something too broad. So I went with something that kind of ties into, you know, what we talked about 
with Ninja Scroll, 80s nostalgia. So I picked the question, what are your favorite, your top five martial arts films from the 1980s? And I, and I, when you, when you asked that question, you posed that question, mm-hmm. I was like, I had like, I had like four of them already picked before, before I even had to think about it. Oh, yeah. And then when I thought about it, I had the fifth one picked before I even went and looked up more films. And I was like, Oh God, that's right. That was in the eighties too. Well, oh man. <laughs> it was a fun one for me to think about. Well, uh, it was pretty uh-huh. easy. Um, I wanted it to be, and it was just fun to take a trip back through mm-hmm. those films. Mm-hmm. So who wants to start? Okay. Um, I think I will go first. Yeah, Rob, I'm looking at your list here and it seems a little different than mine and yeah, Jimmy's, those, but a lot of us seem to have the, the same. Yeah, those, those are none of the movies on my list. I'm not even sure those are actual movies, Jimmy. I did not uh, actually, write that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm going to go with, um, number five as mm-hmm. my favorite 80s martial arts film. Uh, Big Trouble in Little oh, China. Oh, hell yes. yes. And just saw that not too long ago, about two, three years ago at the Enzian, which we've talked about a lot. And it was so much fun watching it outside. And mm-hmm. you know, I've got that on DVD. Giant. So do I. Yep. That probably should be a little higher. We'll say it's number four. Yes, it should be higher. Which makes number five, The Last Dragon. Who's All right. Who's the master? Show enough. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, number three, Bloodsport, because when Jimmy asked this question, he said that I have to have Bloodsport on there. Well, I said that it was, well, are you sure you want to pick that? I said, fine. Name your top five movies from the 80s called Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. Good old uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yep. JCVD. Seeing that movie, actually, there's a few things. One, when I, I saw it, I, I really thought that underground pit fighting was going to be a bigger problem in my life. Like, it seemed like it was a thing because there was a lot of movies about that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was like, am, am I going to run into this? Is this something I have to deal with? Because it seemed like a really terrible idea. Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing with volcanoes too. Like when we were growing up, it was always like lava and volcanoes and like, I've yet to have that be a problem in my life either, but there's still time. But um, yeah. Yeah. So the uh, yeah, it blood sport. And also the idea of uh, fighting in bare feet always kind of freaks me out. Cause I'm like, God, I, I stub my toes all the time and it looks like it would and it hurt. And like, <laughs> imagine kicking someone in the face with open toes. And, like you could wear like aqua toes. socks. No, no. You, all you right, also have on. weird prehensile toes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm currently hanging upside down in my office from the ceiling fan. <laughs> um, Spinning in a circle. Number two is one that probably – I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Ninja 3, The Domination. Have you guys seen that one? I actually no. have not. That movie was on HBO like all the time, and it freaked me out as a kid. So it was <laughs> a, a, a random ninja, of course, getting um, attacked and killed by a bunch of other random ninjas. They kind of stand around him in a circle and – he starts taking them all down, but they eventually like overcome him and basically, you know, ninja star him to death in a circle. And there's a random woman who is a lines woman. She like fixes telephone lines who sees it from up in the lines and comes down. And she also happens to be an aerobics instructor. It's eighties. Just go with it. Everyone was kind of an aerobics instructor <laughs> in the eighties. It was just a way they could put somebody in a leotard. Pretty much just like everyone's kind of yoga instructor now. Um, so they go down. She helps him, and in his dying breath, he basically puts a curse on her. So this um, aerobics instructor becomes – she becomes a ninja. And, like, it's one of those things, like, almost like a werewolf movie where, like, she starts, like, you know, having, like <laughs> – Every enhanced... full moon, she yeah, turns a moon, she becomes a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love that movie because it's so ridiculous. But, you know, like, she has, like, enhanced – she starts getting enhanced things. I remember, like, I vaguely remember, like, the – her, like – 
her boyfriend like surprising her or something and like her like putting him up against the wall like you know the knife to his throat like whoa something along those lines it's been a while it's not exactly the movie that's like on tv now but it was on hbo all the time all right anyway that was it and it it totally freaked me out this the i was like i'm wondering if that's gonna happen like am i gonna run into a dying i hope i don't get a werewolf ninja curse (laughs) (laughs) there's there's the title of the episode werewolf ninja curse (laughs) (laughs) we have a title (laughs) (laughs) and of course my number one is the karate kid because yeah i saw it in theater and of course i don't think any of us saw karate kid and didn't want to go to karate classes and yeah whatever absolutely i remember i tried to go to karate classes afterwards and they were completely sold out in the one karate studio in my like hometown wow so karate kid number one it's a good time to be a karate instructor really was (laughs) not a great time to be an aerobics instructor (laughs) slash telephone line repair woman slash ninja werewolf All right. So, Rob, how about you go next? Okay. It's my birthday. I'll yep. go last. I was, I was going to defer to you since it is your birthday. Um, I'll probably start at number five. Um, and oddly enough – in my socket. I'm sorry. Odd, We're not going to name the rest of those. Oddly enough, um, a lot of the movies appeared up uh, – showed up on all of our lists. But my, my number five is one of the uh, – one of the, divert, the divergent ones is uh, Best of the Best. Um, yes, it was it was a movie that starred like um, James Earl Jones, Eric Roberts. Uh, uh, which, which pen was it? Uh, uh, like Billy or uh, one of those. Like, yeah, other the, ones. the big one, the big one that usually plays like a gangster. Um, he was in it, but it's it's a movie about um, a team, a karate team that goes to face the Korean national team or whatever. And, you know, they're working together and it's like a karate tournament type movie. It was actually really good. I enjoyed it a lot. So that's going to be my number five. My Christopher Penn, Christopher Penn. That's right. My, my number four, uh, Colin and audible. I'm going to switch them. Uh, my number four is going to be blood sport. Nice. Um, all the reasons that Greg listed classic movie, uh, John Clevin and Dam, underground pit fighting. You know, how can you not like that? Stub toes. Exactly. My number three. And I just decided to move this one up because I love this movie and it's the last dragon. Bruce Leroy. (laughs) I believe it's the third time that you've mentioned it on the podcast. So very possibly. Yes. But, um, my, my number two, of course, is the classic, uh, karate kid. Um, Mr. Miyagi last Dargan. Yeah, that's not right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, karate kid is my number two. And my number one is going to be Big Trouble in Little China. The last Dagron. <laughs> you misspelled it again, and that's your third shot. Take it. Um, Big Trouble in Little China is going to be my number one. There are so many absolutely quotable lines in that movie. It is fantastic. I love that movie. Kurt Russell is in rare form. Yes. Just Oh, yeah. What probably one of his best movies. I I love that movie. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but I would like to just just because I don't think a lot of them are on our list. Um, there were some honorable mentions. Um, and and oddly, Jean Claude Van Damme actually ended up twice um, with uh, No Retreat, No Surrender. Do you remember that one? No. He was he was actually the villain in that movie. Um, oh. And, and I think that was before he got like really famous. Um, because he was still kind of like an unknown at that point. He didn't really even speak all that much in the movie. 
Um, but then also movies like Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Um, and of course, I, you know, you have to mention Chuck Norris with uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Um, but one that I remembered that was totally cheesy and it was one of the ones that I initially thought of when you brought this, this topic up was um, mm-hmm. Jim Cotta. Do you know that one? I've Have you heard of that? Heard of it. it was about, it, it starred an Olympic gymnast, an actual Olympic gymnast that, that, who couldn't really act. But he was an Olympic gymnast, so they had to make a movie. And he got he got pressed into or he got kidnapped or something. Ended up in this country, and it was like a death game where he had to escape. But it it involved uh, martial arts and stuff. So he was like doing gymnastics and martial arts, trying to escape ninjas and climbing up walls and stuff. Rob, Absolutely ridiculous. But I, Rob, yes, did you make up this movie? No, it's a real movie. Look it up. <laughs> Did you Jim, dream this? Did you perhaps dream this movie after eating too many chicken wings one night or something? Negative, negative. It's called Jim Cotta. It it actually won a Razzie. <laughs> the year that it sounds great. for the year that it came out. Total okay. cheese. Well, I want to hear Jimmy's so, now. So Jimmy, hit us up. Tell us what you got. All right. So they've almost all been said. Uh, my number five is going to be the last dragon. No, it's the last Dagron. Now the last dark. <laughs> last Dagron. <laughs> Because I can't spell. Um, <laughs> my number four is not appeared on your list, but it is Fist of the North Star. Animated, right? Not the, correct. Not the live action version. Um, I saw this much later, but it did come out in the 80s. It was, you know, super violent. Um, probably one of the more violent animated movies since Heavy Metal. The other one that he was watching um, when he was like nine. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably four when I saw this. Um, <laughs> number three, Big Trouble in Little China. Kurt Russell was in his prime. Oh yeah, um, great movie. I have it on DVD. I've you know probably had it a couple times through the years, but the one I have now is really cool box art. Number two is Karate Kid. Now, yes, I did want to immediately take up martial arts after seeing Karate Kid. But it was my life's ambition after seeing my number one film <laughs> to participate in the Kumite <laughs> when I was very young and I saw Bloodsport. Bloodsport had a ridiculous story of a young man who tried to steal a katana from a martial arts master and he was taken in and trained by him, um, which is a completely fabricated story by Frank Dukes, who was the subject of the movie, who Jean-Claude Van Damme actually played, mm-hmm. was Frank Dukes, who is so much of a Steven Seagal type liar, but he's convinced himself that these things actually happened. <laughs> but they, if you look him up, he's totally into it. Um, now, was but, Bloodsport the one where he like broke his shin on a tree, or was that one of his other movies that I'm just kind of blurring them all together? He had to kick a tree, yeah, a whole bunch of times, something like that. Um, but Bloodsport's fantastic. It had, uh, it had so many different types of fighters. It had the big guy who was his friend who actually played Ogre in Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, Doctor Death. Um, yeah, it had you know different disciplines, even some that may have been made up. But it inspired the hell out of me. I don't know. How long, but for many years after that, it was my life's goal to participate in the Kumite, um, which is not real. Although 
I have a business idea, so if you guys want to stick around after recording, I'd like to pitch this to you guys. I have, I, I have uh, concerns. <laughs> and I would just, Rob, like to, I would just like to ahead. say, how how did nobody list Kung Fu Zombie? Because I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. It is available in its entirety on YouTube. There you go. There's a lot of movies we gotta like watch together. Yeah. 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 Not not the least of which is the one that I just ordered. We're gonna do a movie night. Yeah. Your. <laughs> All right. Y-O-R, yeah. your. <laughs> yep. Rob, you've mentioned Best of the Best, and mm-hmm. Best of the Best 2 was actually the first rated R movie I ever saw in the theater. Oh, really? And there's a, yeah, there's a scene where a wrist is broken, uh-huh. and it forever, on my mind, it, my young mind etched a, a thing with wrists. Mm-hmm. Um, I can trace it back to that. That's where it comes from. Seeing Best of the Best 2 with my friend James. His mom went, I think I saw, uh, she saw, um, The Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. I think the same year that came out in 1993 and said, you guys go watch whatever movie you want. And we went and saw <laughs> Best of the Best 2. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't think my parents even know that, but uh... there you go. Do we want to attempt a, uh, I actually think it'd be fairly easy because I mean yeah, most yeah, of most of the it. movies appeared on all of our lists. Let's do it. So number five, what do we got? I think that would have to be probably what's lowest on our list that we all agree with, and that would last be Dagron. Last Dargron. <laughs> last Last Dagron. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> all right, I'm fine with that. Ran. Yeah. <laughs> Dagorn. Last Dagorn. <laughs> the last Dagorn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, number four. Okay. Um, what's lowest here? What do we have? I think Big Trouble in Little China should actually appear, appear a little bit higher yeah. on the list. I think yeah. I'm I would put at that three. at number three. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So number four, which we're skipping I, over for the time being. I'm thinking number two should probably be Bloodsport, and number one should be Karate Kid. Because everybody had everybody had Karate Kid at at least two. Greg had it at number one, um, and for me, Bloodsport was down at four. That works for me. And I think number four. What are we we do should let Jamie pick four. that because it's his birthday. Um, I will. I would like to add something. You mentioned it's my birthday. the best things that happened in 1984. Uh, one of those things is that Ninja Three: The Domination was released into theaters September 14th, 1984. It was a it good was year. year. I'm going to put uh, Fifth of the North Star on there because I think everyone should see it. And it's my birthday. It's your birthday. Through you guys. So, our definitive five. The definitive five. Jimmy five. The Jimmy five podcast. My five. My birthday five. Number five is Last Dragon. Number four, Fist of the North Star. If you liked Ninja Scroll, definitely check that out. Number three, Big Trouble in Little China. Number two, Bloodsport. And number one, Karate Kid. Would you say that Karate Kid's uh, swept the leg on all those other ones? I'd, I'll wax on. Well, yeah. Good enough. Sweet. Wax off that question. Well. Uh, well, happy birthday, Jimmy. Uh, Late, but happy birthday. Thank you. Thank happy you. birthday, Jimmy. And if you guys have any opinions about martial arts movies... In the 80s or other martial arts movies, by all means, don't uh, hesitate to get in touch with us. And I wanted to give a special thank you to Kalax, who provided the track that you guys have heard 
replacing our normal intro and outro. The song is Take Me Back featuring World Wild. And yes, the lyrics say, Take Me Back to 1984. I cannot stand the future anymore. It was a great year. Thank you guys for listening. Check out Kalax on Instagram at I am Kalax, I am Kalax.com, Facebook.com slash Kalax official. That's Kalax, K A L A X. Correct. I'm sorry. K A L A X. There you go. Excellent. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Don't respond to me here, but I'm going muted for a second. Just don't respond to me. Okay. Oops. Wieners. Big wieners. Remember that I do all the editing. (laughs) Greg's wiener.